The JTAP Podcast, Episode 5. Send it. I can do that. JTAX. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Okay. Uh, coming thick and fast. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 5 of the JTAP Podcast. Um, an old friend of mine, a, a man who actually took me through my basic course, um, what seems like an eternity ago, um, Gareth. Sub, thank you so much, mate, for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. No problem at all, mate. Always a pleasure. Okay, just so everyone's aware, obviously, uh, everyone's opinions on here are their own. They're not that of any organisation, and they just come on here out of the goodness of their heart to, uh, to speak to me um, and have a bit of uh, light-hearted fun uh, around our community. Um, so, Gareth, let's just uh, dive into it. The same sort of thing. I'd like to begin uh, with a subject that you'll know pretty strong, which is yourself. So just give us an idea of sort of like where you came from, where you grew up, your kind of your background um, and school and that kind of thing. Cool. Um, so uh, my father was in the forces, he was in the Royal Air Force. So I was a bit of a pads brat. So I was actually born in a, a place called Warrington uh, between Manchester and Liverpool. But uh, father was Welsh and I was, I was brought up in Wales. So I'm a, I'm a taff at heart. Uh, he left in the late 70s, uh, early 80s. Uh, we settled down in Swansea then. Uh, I went to Bishop Gore School in Swansea. However, from the age of about 11 onwards, I was going to go in the military. So I was in the cadets as soon as possible. I started off in the sea cadets, actually. And uh, I had to. I, I was on work experience at school, where usually you'd have one day out of school. In fact, I had four days away from school and one day in school. So I was doing lots of boats and stuff like that. So... Um, yeah, right. And I left school really early. I was the very first year to do GCSE, which is our final our final exams. Uh, and I, I, I left early. I was in school Friday and I was in the Royal Navy on the Monday. So wow. at 16 years old. Wow. That's 1988. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember the day I walked out the school gates at 16, but I didn't uh, I didn't join up till 10 days before my 18th birthday. So, yeah, you uh, that was that was a rapid turnaround. Um, quick, quick one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and it's interesting, obviously, about the um, Sea Cadets. A couple of people who have on who've been in the Cadets, but I was just saying, it's really changed from when, like, you and I were younger to the Cadets that come through now. I'm just constantly surprised at the knowledge level they have of mm-hmm. the forces and what they know. Like, I just don't feel like it was covered back then uh, the way yeah, it is yeah. to now. It's a huge positive, like, leap in the right direction Absolutely. for those guys. Did you do... Uh, I mean, I obviously know a bit of your sporting background. Um, did you do anything specifically... At, at school, any like sports or any team things? Uh, I, I was I was in a big rugby school. A lot of the Welsh team, Love Moray, and went to my school. Um, you know, obviously either younger than me or older. So I was always chasing a position in the first fifteen at school. I never, you know, I managed to get on the bench a few times and and stuff. But, uh, but my real love as a kid actually uh, was boxing. Yeah. So you know, I'm, I, as you know, I've got quite a big head. Ginger, because <laughs> my father was in the forces, uh, I, I didn't have a Welsh accent, so I had yeah. a little bit of a little bit of a hard time in school for the first year or two. So I started boxing, kept that quiet, kept that quiet, and then like the, the, the toughest kid in the school ran past me and elbowed me in the face. So I turned around and sparked him out with a left duck, and he was two, <laughs> two years older than me. So I was a bit of a legend for uh, I don't know a year or so. Then I had a I had a fight with a even quieter kid called Carl Benison, who was a judo player and threw me over his head and knocked me out. So that was a lesson for me. But yeah, boxing, yeah. And a, a bit of rugby uh, and lots of sailing and boats and stuff, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, that's so cool. So 
Um, obviously, father in the Air Force. Anybody else in the family in the forces? Uh, grandfather, submariner in World War Two, uh, and torpedo boats. Did some famous, some of the famous raids and stuff that the commandos go on about. Uh, and uncles, most of my family were all Air Force, actually. Yeah. Did yeah, you? Uh, so, is there like, is there? I know, obviously, you're a sea cadet and you um, you had family in the forces, but was there a moment in your life where you can say, yeah, I, that's where I decided when I was going to serve, I was going to go and serve my country? It was probably about nine or ten years old. Wow. That was, that was all I was interested in was was tank guns, planes, you know, being a, a pads brat, you know, a, living on Mary quarters and stuff and, and seeing all the military. And, you know, we, we, I think we lived on a couple of fighter stations as well, seeing jets taken off and whatever. That was it. I was always going to be in the military. Wasn't interested in anything else. Yeah, so I, I've known you for a while. So I, I kind of, uh, I'm in a privileged position of knowing the way your, like, your tapestry of a, a career went. But just give us an idea of, obviously, young man, leaves school on a Friday, starts in the Navy. Um, yeah. And uh, on, at the next day, sort of like that little bit of your career that then, why you decided to go that way? And then yeah. what led up to, well, we won't touch on your JTAC career yet, but like what that period of your life looked like. Okay, so I, I joined at um, 16 years old, youngest person in the, in the, in the armed forces, because wow. it, it's sort of like a bit of a gray area. And I got in because the army, you have to be junior leaders and, and things like that. So I, somehow I ended up and I uh, volunteered. I wanted to do, uh, well, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do as, as a branch, but I was, def- I was operations branch. I wasn't an engineer or anything. So I, uh, there was one position, electronic warfare. And because I was a bit of a nerd on Russian stuff, Russian planes, ships, submarines, I thought I'll go and do, do that because there's a bit of sort of intelligence, J2 involved. So um, I did my electronic warfare training. I struggled. There's a, if there's such a thing as being dyslexic with numbers, that was me. Uh, and that was the most technologically demanding sort of, uh, sort of physics and, and theory-wise was, was electronic warfare for some strange reason, went and did it. Um, and I joined my first ship, uh, HMS Nottingham, which is famous. It ran aground off Australia about 20 years later. Um, so I joined my first ship, and I was, uh, you know, in the mess on my first day. I was a kid. Uh, there was and nearly everyone in my mess was from was in the Falklands War. Wow. Uh, and, and there's this, <laughs> this, this little scrawny lad who thought he was a bit tough because he was a boxer. I didn't. I, you know, I, I never took my way. I, I knew I was in a position I was in and I'd studied the Falklands and stuff um but I it was uh I had a torrid time you know there's things that happened to me in that mess that would be those guys would all have been booted out of the forces now for bullying yeah but with that in mind it made me sort of I suppose the robust sort of person I am now I see one or two of them and there were big big guys when I saw them and now if I saw them I've seen one or two last year Beat the crap out of them, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. You know, but I, I got involved with the uh, our military, the Iran Iraq War. So we were protecting tankers going through the uh, Bandar Abbas and Straits of okay. Hormuz, which has just been in the, in the news recently. Yeah, it's funny how it loops back around, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, the Falklands. I mean, the, obviously, the year you're joining up there, those guys, like probably the other than Northern Ireland and a few of the things that people don't really talk about. Um, they're probably the most operationally current people. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And plus, in the navy, the navy got their asses kicked in the Falklands. There's a yeah, lot of a-, a lot of lessons learned for for global 
warship repair and how you operate because ships hadn't been attacked by missiles before like this. So the yeah, American and a long way from home as well. Yeah, it was a huge logistics thing. Uh, and I was on a Type 42 destroyer. Uh, that was the same class as the Sheffield and the Coventry. And it was because of the lack of knowledge on electronic warfare that those two ships were, were hit because, you know, intercepting radars and things because we were transmitting on um, satellite communication, which is the exact same frequency band as the Seeker Head on an Exocet missile. So that was a lesson learned. And the Americans got a lot of information from that as well. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. So obviously you boxed then, didn't you? You boxed in the Navy. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I boxed in the Navy. Um, I boxed as a kid quite, you know, I did, did okay. Uh, I joined the Navy, boxed in the Navy, managed to win Portsmouth Command and Navy Novice Championships and stuff and went down to uh, Limpston and boxed a couple of Marines and did really, really well, beat them. So I was in the Navy team and uh, got a couple of shots. It was combined services then, uh, boxing team. And then again, I was fight, uh, I was slated to box a steward so a guy okay. who hoovers the officer's mess out and pours gin and tonics for the officers on the ship yeah steward Richie um, I thought oh god he's a steward it's, it's tough Thomas I'll, I'll nail him and he broke my jaw boxing okay. he have had guards he broke my jaw but I carried on I did I, you know I, but I was boxed I boxed two rounds with a broken jaw but I lost um, so I, I sort of stopped boxing then for, for quite a while <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fail on me. It's yeah. funny, isn't it? Like ego can cut, like creep up oh, you on God, you yeah. on the in the weirdest ways, and it, and it'll always have your pants down. You know, you got to you got to leave that stuff at the door, and you absolutely. Um, and that that go. I know we're going to talk about JTAC later. That go that comes back back in JTAC as well afterwards. Oh, big time, mate. Yeah. Um, so, what makes you come out of the navy and then go across to the army? So, um, well, I did my destroyer time. I volunteered for submarines. Went on submarines. Um, Got involved with the Iran, uh, the the first Gulf War on a, a submarine because I was an EW operator. That was, you know, very brief. Worked with some of our um, American friends from Virginia Beach and that. I leave that one there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I got married at eighteen. Stupid. Okay. Like to get uh, stuff got, done early, mate. Yeah, married at eighteen, divorced at twenty-one, and I was in Plymouth doing a, an engineer's job fixing nuclear reactors or part of the team that was responsible for reactors. I thought I'm not having this, uh, so I left. Uh, I was a civilian then for a couple of years. Uh, started boxing again. Joined a fire service in Plymouth. So I was a professional boxer. Terrible. Mind. I had three bouts. Lost three bouts. But, you know, I was never stopped. On my, You know, I, was, I stopped stood up. So I, I did all right at that. Made a couple of quid. But I just realised after my last bout, boxing bout that I think I was 23, 24. I thought, what am I going to do? <laughs> I've, yeah. I've got nothing. What, what am I going to do? So um, Soldier Soldier was a TV series that was, was going on. And I thought, oh, I'll have a go. Literally had a look at that. Went to the careers office. Um, and yeah, they said, you can only join the guards. The only one that will take you was the Irish guards. I thought, well, I'm, I'm not Irish. Uh, oh, no, just join and we can re you then. And, and you can box as well. You can be a boxer. We'll sort all that out. So I ended up in the Queen's Dragoon Guards, Welsh, Welsh Cavalry, being a Welsh lad and sort of tanks and stuff as it were then. Yeah. So yeah, I joined the army. Um, Queen's Dragoon Guards, Welsh Cavalry. Um, did all Did my... Go on. Do you ever end up on horseback? No, no. We got rid of our horses in 1936. <laughs> yeah, good. Jo- well, well done, mate. There's a, there's a few people 
you'll know them and I know them that like, yeah, yeah. who pride themselves on the fact that they've never been on a horse. You know what I mean? They're like yeah, in recovery yeah. for whatever number of years I've never been yeah. on a horse. Still had spurs on our boots and stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah. The um, so what does that look like then? What that that career there, that sort of step through up into NC, being an NCO. Um, so I joined, joined the army as a tank crewman and straight away was straight to Northern Ireland doing dismount infantry stuff. Obviously, Obviously not infantry, but in an infantry role. Mm-hmm. Um, back, you know, did Northern Ireland, did the Good Friday Agreement, or I was in an OP in Hillsborough Castle when, the, when it was all being signed. Um, those are public order and stuff like that. It was, it was good fun, really good fun, but, but weird because it was like going on patrol around your hometown. Yeah. Um, then got back and we, then it was all the Bosnias and Kosovo's were kicking off. So we did the last deployment on Challenger 1 tanks to Bosnia, eh, to Kosovo, um, freezing cold. I always remember going up to the, the border post with the, the, with the Serbs and it was me, I was one of the bigger guys and we had the three drivers, they're all called Jimmy. So we'd go out and then the Serbs would come up and the Serbs are all big, massive, hard as nail. They're like UFC fighters. And we had these three skinny runts and they thought, oh my God, what's this about? Yeah. We did, did the tank thing and then we started to, you know, the regiment's original role was reconnaissance throughout World War II and, and up until the sort of mid 80s. So we re-rolled to reconnaissance then. And I was a bit older, you know, I was 25, 26 as a trooper pushing Lance Corporal. Yeah. So I thought, hang on, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to find something, some, a niche here because, you know, I'm a bit older. I'm not going to make RSM at this age. Roger that. So I got sort of look, not looked after, but I was really interested. One of the guys had done, um, we did the invasion of Iraq in okay. March. Uh, I ended up as a TAP-P signaller. We didn't have a TAP-P as in four guys. It was me and um, a guy, Scouse McDonald, who, who went on to be the school sergeant major at J-Faxu. Yeah. So I was his sort of laser. In fact, I don't know if we even did laser. I was his sort of signaller and GPMG gunner and stuff. So I saw first hand uh, and assisted a little bit with, uh, you know, prosecution, prosecution of close air support. Right yeah, is, that like, is that uh, a case of like, the tour was coming around and, and you got slotted into it or was it something you were like looking at, looking up? To um, no, I, I was in SHQ, squadron headquarters. So it was recce. I was, wasn't B squadron. I got shipped to C squadron because I was qu- quite, quite good on, on comms and radios and stuff like that. So, and they needed a signaler. So I went there as a Lance Corporal signaler. Um, but I was really, no, no, this is, this is a nerdy job for me. And I ended up, uh, I knew Scouse McDonald Lenny quite quite well. He said, "Come in our wagon," and you know, I, I went on and you know, I was quite. We had a, I was on a Spartan vehicle, and we had the we put the gym at the operators out, so I operate the gym there. So I, I sort of managed to get in there, not really knowing, you know, what JTAC did, but it, it just whatever he did, it was was pretty cool because he was talking to planes, and they were okay, going. Cool. JTACs would all go away, or they were facts then. All go away and have separate meetings with these random American guys and guys with big bushy beards and stuff. And you think that's a cool job. I want a bit of that. Yeah. So how does that manifest itself into you actually turning up at the school then on your basic um, course? We got to. It was back in the day when the only the only people who did it really were RF regiment, um, reconnaissance regiment. The odd gunner would do it, and special forces. Mm-hmm. So two or three slots on the course. Um, and because I was coaching the regimental boxing team, the ops officer was one of the boxers. So he said, ah, sub, sub, get on it. 
So they, they put me on the course. It was the old days, four-week course. Yeah. Um, got stitched up by, you know, putting you in a hotel. You pay a week for the, you pay four weeks in the hotel, but you'd only allowed to stay there Monday to Friday. And then, you know, the hotel down the road. Or up the yeah. Road from you, Lehman Bar. But did the course with the old guards, you know, the, the, the old characters there, um, Army Air Corps bloke and stuff. And uh, it was really, really good. Really, yeah. really good. But it was FAC. It wasn't JTAC. It was FAC. And it was all, it's a phrase we all use is bobble app controlling. Mm. You know? Yeah. Just rocking up with your four by four, wearing whatever random silly stuff. I think low al- low alpine hats were the cool things then. Roger that. Uh, yeah, so that was it. Uh, yeah, and then you go with that one with the course. You did a, a further combat uh, ready course. Wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I it's, did the very it's last. Fakasp was the the course you had to do to get um, combat ready. Okay. And then I went back, and we just I went there as an instructor. And they brought okay. in the combat ready, the, the, I can't even remember, CR course. Yeah. Yeah. Me, Carl, and uh, Frank Redhead would do it. Yeah. In Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I did the very first eight-week course when you were there. Yeah. And then I did the last combat ready course was still running to finish the guys who'd been on the other style of yeah. course. that's and right. We, so we, we CR'd. We just turned up on the last day. Uh, just to com- just to do the check because obviously we've done the eight week course, but um, yeah. So w- obviously that's there's a, a huge scope there. What do you think was the biggest change uh, that you saw um, from doing your basic course to sort of like coming back as an instructor? Because obviously it's probably better for us to bite your sort of career off and to jump. Yeah. Otherwise we're um, talking. So the the first time I no I I managed to. Get two tours of J-Faction. The first time I thought I was a man because I'd just done Afghan and it was Herrick with single numbers, you know, no disrespect to anything. And I did subsequent tour. It wasn't a single number, you know, it was 2008 and nine. Uh, He's quite punchy then. Uh, And I I always remember, you know, the the chief of staff said, if you drop a bomb on this tour, we failed in our mission. We were down in Garmcia. We'd just taken over Prince Harry and all of that. I didn't do anything for three months. And then all of a sudden it kicked off and boom, and he built that trust up and stuff. And, you know, we had quite a successful tour. Uh, I managed to get into Jay Faxu uh, as a, just as, as a silent instructor. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And we went from the, if you remember the, the old, you might be familiar, some of your listeners, the Delta one, Delta two, to a proper NATO nine line instead of the 15 line. I'll link as brief, but that was a, that was a big thing, but it's very pilot led. And I remember one of their pilots, uh, was a chief pilot at the time saying the pilot is the customer. And I thought, hang on, no, no, it's close air support. The pilot's not the customer. It's the guy on the ground's a customer. But I was, I was relatively new. I was new at the school. I was, I'd done my tours, you know, I'd done a, an Iraq and an Afghan. So I'd done two tours and I was still a relatively junior sergeant. And I just thought this doesn't make sense really. It's all about, hang on, I'll only ever use this skill here. You know, the low level talk on your target is. Yeah. Yeah, and I was that Glazedale OP1. I know that verbatim now. <laughs> um, but it just seems very much at that time, very much for J Factory Jets, J Factory Hawks. And anything we did outside of J Factory, if I started speaking like that to a to a Hornet or an F 16 or, or an A10, they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. Yeah. So that that was that was the big thing. And I, maybe branch across the two 
tours I did. I, I did two d- deployments in between my two tours at JFAX. Okay, well, who were they with? Back to your own unit? Yeah, so I was QDG, so not artillery. The artillery had done the big, you know, land grab, for want of a bit, better term. Yeah, Our refreshment formed from their, their ALI cell, they, you know. So it was very messy, but we still had Afghanistan going on. And JTACs, most of the JTACs deployed to Afghanistan, came under control of the, uh, the artillery close support regiment. So you had to get in there and do it. It was all about building that relationship with your FST commander and the CO and all that. So um, that was, yeah, it was difficult. Um, but the key one, and I'm sure you're aware, you know, we, we did, a, I did a TSG tour, which mm-hmm. is, a, you know, HVI, HVT, uh, and you're privileged to a lot of information, an awful lot of information that, you know, is not for, you know, not for these means. And I'm sure lots no. of guys have done it. And you just realize how, um, how good, what our nations are good at, mm-hmm. you know, how really good we are, you know, US guys as well, and lots of US assets and stuff, and doing some really dodgy, not dodgy stuff, but not quite James Bond. But you were in a very, very privileged position, but you also carried an awful lot of responsibility. And yeah. that was very, very stressful. I found that extremely stressful. And I, you know, I not suffered dramatically sort of jumping in a hedge every time I heard a car backfire because it wasn't that. It was drinking coffee, doing, you know, doing your routine, me and there's another guy, Jimmy, we're doing that. And we had a very, very successful tour, but it took a lot of, an awful lot out of you. And that's when yeah. you, you become a bit weird. I yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a great point. <laughs> just sort of like, um, it's interesting as a JTAC, and I would say like anyone that's aspiring to be a JTAC, um, you, you, could be a, you could be a corporal, you could be a major. Do you know what I mean? We have that sort of breadth of um, rank in it. But it's almost like that gets deleted and you're, you are the JTAC, you are my JTAC. And it's yeah, like, yeah. You might be speaking today to a captain and tomorrow you're speaking to a colonel or a two-star or whatever. And, you, and, it's, and then you're back on the job and you're back on the net speaking mm-hmm. to air crew. Who, who, and it's that thing, like you said, of building that rapport, building that reputation and, and being humble enough to swallow down your ego and say, when I communicate with this person, I need to do it this way. And when I communicate with this person, it's this way. And there is a lot of pressure especially the well you know there might be not as much pressure on senior ncos or whatever but maybe there is but like you know i loved it i love the fact that i could speak to anybody but uh just remembering when you are coming into it you could be a corporal and you could be like you know an officer yeah um and, it, and it, that doesn't really make a, any difference once you start doing the job no no it's your call sign and it's a cheat it's a cheesy line and i sort of use it you know, because I went on, I, had, I ran 20 Brigade. We did um, two Herricks. Or I, I, was, I was the boss of the 20 Brigade based out of Germany. We did two, yeah, two Herricks. And it's your call sign, your reputation. You know, I got my call sign tattooed on my arm with a beer drinking bomb droppers bomb girl thing. You know? <laughs> it, it, you got it. it. It becomes your religion. And you, you get so into it. But that, that can be negative as well, I think. You know, because uh, one key thing, uh, since I've left... Uh, left the, the being a JTAC, left the military, is you're never as good as you think you are. You do get wrapped up in your own ego. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think, no, it's like, I'm just liking it now to boxing. Boxers don't train, you know, you train for one fight. You're in that fight, you have that fight. Then you chill out and you just tick over nicely. 
you're never top on top of your game, and you know. Maybe, maybe, yeah, 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 definitely. That's a good point. I, um, so just to lighten it up a little bit, mate, what's your favourite platform? And and I have had to like try and say, is everybody going to say the A10? But I'm just going to let you have the freedom. No, no. What's your What's your favourite platform? Right, just if I may, everyone finds the A10 easy because they're very, very, very good at it because that is yeah. their job. But if it's going to go wrong, it'll go wrong with an A10 mm. because. Any sniff of weakness from the JTAC, that pilot or two ship or division will be all over you and they'll, they'll boss it. Yeah, I've seen that. They'll boss it. So, and everyone's, you see the cheesy clips. Oh, here's my every JTAC video that you see on Facebook or whatever. The A10, how many gazillion times have I seen that? Actually, what, where's the skill? Ah, it's an academic range. It's not skill, it's just cool noise. And mm. that's just me. Two, I've got two favorite platforms. One operation, uh, one was, is I love the Hornet, Super Hornet, because yeah. I've got a lot of trade out of the Hornet and I, I very close links with um, uh, CVW 8, CAG 8, you know, those four squadrons. My, my three deployments to Afghanistan, those off that boat were the same squadrons. I know many of the loads of the aviators. So I like the Hornet, they've never let me down. But my probable absolute favorite one for re- reliability is Harvest Hawk. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Phil, Phil Sirotin, yeah. it's almost telepathy. Now, and my, my first from check-in to RTB, off you go, we don't need you anymore, was like seven minutes. And that was a HVI. Mm. Harvest Hawk was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. They, those guys uh, stay filthy. Those boys are uh, yeah. absolutely brilliant. I, they, the, the support they gave us was incredible. Really good. Um, I love that, mate. I love the fact that you've come in with two other options, especially the Harvestor. Big, big fan of yeah, yeah. those dudes. Um, and actually, uh, in the pipeline is um, a good friend of mine, Chris, who's a Harvestor uh, dude who was downrange with me, who's going to probably come on in a couple of podcasts. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll be pleased to hear that he, that he popped up in there. Um, all right, dude. So what's the biggest myth then? What's the biggest myth about JTAX? The biggest or, myth? You, you can go wide in that, mate. What's the biggest myth? In ALI, CAS, joint fires? Ah, that's a really good question. I could go down loads of rabbit warrens with that one. Oh, go on. Um, you are... It's not about you. It's a, the customer, you are working for the ground commander. If he does not want to drop a bomb or he does not want to have that effect, you support him in his decision. Absolutely. I've just seen many times people get carried away and they make that target set fit what they want it to be. Oh, that's four RPGs are all setting up. No, mm. you've got to step back. No, what can I really see? Um, so with that, possibly, the bit, you're never as good as you think you are. Mm. I know I think from as a dick... Yeah, I know I was a dick. Well, I was the first subfac as a corporal. I thought I was hot snot for probably half of my JTAC career, and I sort of suddenly grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, what's interesting about about that point is um, an outsider looking in. You know, that's the kind of like where I, I, I hear what you're saying is an outsider looking in goes, "Oh, the JTAC just turns up, does this, that, that, and drops drops the bomb." And you're like, "There's so much." So many other people you've got to talk to, so many other hoops you've got to jump through. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and if you eat, like, like you touched on it a few times, and it's like if the ego's getting in the way, it's just going to slow the process. Of course it is. Or, or make you come unstuck. Yeah. You, you might have had it, uh, I'm sure a few of you guys, your listeners might have had it. You, you deploy, you've been training with this team of 20, 30 guys. You deploy 15, 20 drops, you're in contact, loads of dits, and you always get these two or three guys at the end who haven't dropped. And they're the three that will make the mistake because they chase, they chase, they chase, to chase. And I've seen that done. Yes. Yeah, sad. Yeah. Um, okay, dude. Um, I've got a couple on, that are just dropping in on the Instagram. That's why I'm looking down, if you're wondering. Um, the first one is, what changes uh, did you hope to see in your time in uh, that you didn't, didn't come to fruition, good or bad? A few changes. I think it's there things is, you wanted to see. There, it's an old, oh, and I understand why it's not happened. I do understand in the big picture, but a career stream where I think the RF regiment had it nailed with the ALI cell. If there was a tri-service ALI cell that you were in, you leave, you go back to on promotion and, and stuff like that. If it was a career stream sort of it, that's very difficult to do with tri-service. Everyone's got different, you know, but if there was one unit, I think it'd be so much more efficient, cheaper, cost-effective, because instead of having 20 JTACs, you could do it with five really, really good ones that are all over it. One very, very well-trained, experienced JTAC is worth, and no disrespect to, to the guys out in the company or whatever, it, it, you know, I think one, one or two, you know, well, a, a formed unit, um, Conventional. I'm not saying soft. They do their own thing. I get that. But one one formed unit would be great. But I understand why it's very very difficult when the whole scheme of things. JTAC, they, they wouldn't be very busy now, would they, for the next three years? So what that unit be doing? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you you're hitting on a point that I think it, it, it's in the it's in the pipeline. It's been in the pipeline for a long time, but I think we're not going to continue to function at the large numbers that we're functioning. No, you and I think that, and for a command structure and from a financing point of view, it's easier to have one arching command with then maybe split North and South across the country, maybe like ASOS is or ASOCs do or something like that. But uh, there's a lot more conversation about the way that structure is coming because of the, the things that are coming. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point because if it's something you were looking at and it's still being looked at, then it's a great answer yeah, 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 to that yeah. question. Um, all right, dude. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I just think just on, on top of that as well, the de the decision makers within it, we're, you know, UK JTAC for Afghanistan, and this is opinion, but was ran by extremely enthusiastic and passionate senior NCOs. If they weren't as passionate and my job is my hobby, UK and many other nations wouldn't have been successful because it was all... You know, I didn't feel you get the support from a, from the sort of the command echelons, if you like. They just see numbers, stats, stats, stats. Yeah, he's good enough. Yeah, is he good enough? He's not. It's all about being driven by that by that senior NCO, and that sort of came out uh, and it started to do brigade senior, whatever it's called. It keeps changing, it keeps changing the rules, but there's lots of enforce more. You know, are controllers any better now than they were then? I don't know. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean, there's a whole generation that have left, they've got combat experience, and you've got the leaders now have got zero combat experience. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's been brought up in a couple of uh, a couple of podcasts. All right, a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah, yeah. For your uh, sub, what's your uh, what are you hydrate on at the moment? Right, I used to be a massive Jack Daniels. I, I my favorite okay. place in the world is the Officers Club in Fallon. It's yes, mate. I've got pictures up there, and I'm the one of four people who know how to operate the jukebox. I live there. Um, I have yeah. pints of Jack and Coke. I had seven or eight pints of Jack and Coke. And everything. It didn't help my already. I've lost a bit of weight now, but I was a bit quite chunky then. Uh, Jack and Coke. But now I've I've matured a bit. I'm in business. Sometimes I put plumb in my voice, shirt and tie, looking quite smart. I tried to anyway. So it's gin and tonic now. Okay. Yeah. What gin you got on the shelf at the uh, moment? Uh, that you'd push out to us. Um, Bulldog's quite a good one. Yes, mate. Yeah. I know in the states you only get Tanqueray or maybe Tanqueray ten year, but that you know you don't really get that good gin in in the states. But we should be taking suitcases of Bulldog with us. Bulldog is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, coffee. You're a big. You still a big coffee drinker? Um, yeah, I've had a f- few. My wife's Canadian, so she likes crap wheat coffee. Oh, um, Europe, we do all right. There's there's a few. There's Black Rifle, old JTs yeah. involved with that. Yeah. Uh, I know JT from years and years ago, but Black Rifle Coffee, it's just getting it. I'll, I'll order some mail order, uh, and if it, you know, if it comes, when I get round to it, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it stashed. Nobody else can steal it. But yeah, and yeah. oh, there's a gay tack as well. Oh my god, I forgot his name. Dun- Duncan. Oh, Cannonball Coffee. Cannonball. That's yeah, Duncan. Yeah, that's definitely on the next on the strike list. Yeah. Roger that. Um, okay, so. Uh, cribs or a notebook right I would have a notebook and this is not arrogance on my part because I've made mistakes everyone has I would mm-hmm. try my hardest not I'd just have one or two bits and bobs written on a glove or a trouser or on tour or a few little pointers on a, on a sheet you know on a, on a notebook yeah um, it just I always I love I love keyhole cars, mm-hmm. uh, and I just think that was the quickest way to do it. So if you you got the full crib, you just you like that staring, staring, staring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do a combination of both, but generally I'd have a map and a bit of paper, and all my yeah. readbacks were done off the map. As you know, if, yeah. you, if you've got an error in location, you read the numbers and he reads it back. You read back correct, but if you read the numbers to him. Then he reads it back, and you're plotting the numbers he reads back on the map. That's your final confirmation. So, uh, map, map's my one. If uh, if you were uh, like to give a guy three points, so he's, he's not a JTAC yet. He's you know he's looking to do it. He's already he has the opportunity maybe to go for JAA or, or come to the yeah. school. What were the three things you'd say to them that they need to be ready to rock and roll with turning up on the JAA? Map reading. Now, infantiers and, and cavalry, not so much cavalry, but a lot of infantry guys tend to focus on where you are, where you know your section is or, or whatever. Not that many infantry guys do it. Um, you need to be able to not necessarily forget where you are. You've got to know where you are, but you've got to plot what's four, five, six Ks away. So map reading, you know, spin around, arrive in an OP, get someone, right, give me the grid, that, you, whatever. Uh, 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 and just remember the basics because the amount of times you're trying to plot a grid and oh, I can't get it if you just got out and did a shot of bearing 
you get it straight away. Yeah. Uh, so Matt reading, um, ironic for me, because I was always a fatty, although I'm quite fit now, believe it, I'm fitter now than I was in the last 20 years of my army career, is, is fitness. It clears the mind as well. You know? Yeah. It clears the mind. You go out, you run, you, you figure things out when you go for a run. It's weird, you know, most JTACs are, are fit guys, motivate guys anyway. But for me personally, I, I wish I was, I would, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, absolutely that. Uh, person, no egos. We've all got egos, all of us. I was horrendous. Uh, you just take it. And when you're getting a debrief, don't say, well, I'm not listening to you because this guy giving me a debrief is a bit of a dick. He said, right, okay, what points does he give me? Because you learn it of, of, of everything. So no egos. Keep get fit as fit as you can. And uh and Matt Reed. Yeah. I mean I, I, I have not I have nothing to add. I think they're absolutely spot on from from what I've seen coming up. Yeah. Um all right, dude. So what's uh give us your best dip, but it's a funny one, not a not like a downrange. It could be downrange, but a funny dip. A funny dip. Oh, God. Well, I did the red six one, but that's too long. I basically, uh-huh. I said I was in the red arrows. I was actually going on special forces selection. Obviously, I failed. But I was training uh-huh. and training and training. Uh, I was in Cyprus because we had mouth diseases going on. I'm, I'll compress the story. So I'm out downtown that night uh, with some of the infantry guys and some girls that's chit-chatting, chit-chatting. And what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a pilot. I'm in the red arrows and I'm doing all the hand signals and all of this. Uh, went on for about three or four hours. Uh, we went to three bars. This guy, Emma, Emma or Emily, was holding my hand and stuff. And she was introducing me to all of her mates. She said she was a travel rep. She introduced me to the coach driver. And she said, last place, she, she pulled this. Oh, come in. This is Mike. Come and tell him. Um, I went, yeah, I'm in the Red Arrows. He went, no, you're not. I said, he goes, why? He goes, which one are you? I said, I'm Red Six. He goes, no, you're not, because I'm Red Six. Every single <laughs> one of them. <laughs> Every single one of them was ground crew, or the blue, and they call the blues, or circus, or whatever. They're all in there, involved with the red arrows. And it took four hours to get the real red six out of his bed from Akrotiri to the pub. But I, I read to FHM magazine, and that was published. The following month, Red One at the time wrote to FHM, complimented me on my bullshit, uh, and they're going to use some of my tactics and techniques I described for the following season. <laughs> Oh, mate, I love it. That's fucking class. Mate, she had you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. That's fucking brilliant. All right, so, so, so you've obviously, let's say, you've, you know, you've finished up your career and you've, you've matured a lot and, and, and you've, all that's gone on. Um, and, and, and rightly so, you found yourself in a position in the industry to advise back on the role that you were doing. Yes. What, what's that look like for you? Okay, I've gone from being, my religion is JTAC, Mr. Ali, I'm going to put my baseball cap on. And, you know, I was involved with the generation where if you wore a JTA, uh, a baseball cap, you were a scum of the earth. Right. I'm fat and ginger. I don't, I don't look cool. I like wearing a baseball cap. It's my, happy, it's my you know, that, that was a drama we had. Um, but now I, I sort of look, look back. I do a lot. I go to a lot of JTAC events. Um, and it, it's, it's good seeing it. But you, there's a lot of Ali-ness around. Certainly UK. A lot of cool chit chat and I was involved with the event last year on Salisbury Plain with a, with a number of guys that we both know and there's these four or five youngsters go oh we want this American software because it's better than all of that and you know and I just said mate 
you pay your dues. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. Go and speak to go and speak to the you know your, your procurement people. So it's like it's a cool job. It's good fun, but there's a lot of there's a lot. I don't want to come across wrong here. There's a lot of guys living off the backs of the hard work that our generation did downrange. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think pin your ears back and listen. You know, and get get really really good at your job. Be really 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 as best as you can possibly be at your job. Uh, and embrace everything, all all aspects of it. You know, you, you're not going to be brilliant all the time, every single control. No. So what what uh, what what sort of uh, do do you say yourself staying in the element of industry you're in now? Yeah. Have you got a timeline on it? No. So generally, generally, when you leave in and you become you know civilian, you can go to the training route training JTACs around the world, or you can go into industry. I think there's probably more scope for training than, than there is in industry. I was very, very lucky. I you know there's a lot of competition for my position. And if I knew that they were going for it, I would have been, oh, Jesus, I, you know, what am I going to do? But I was fortunate. I had an electronic warfare background um, from the Navy, so I could do other things apart from the JTAC point of view. The training is, is really, really good, but you have to be realistic. You've got doesn't matter how much of a Jedi JTAC you were and how many dits and how many red entries you've got or not got. It's, you, you know, you're teaching the basics in a, a nice, proficient mannerism. And also, you are providing a service to them. They can tell you, get lost if you want. You're in business. Yeah. You're not in the military. And it's a difficult one where you're a military guy, sorry, a civilian teaching a military subject to the military in a military location. But you're still not military, so you, you know you're no. you're like working in Tesco's or Walmart. You know you you, you just yeah baked beans in aisle six. So there so there's there's that one. But you, you've got to if for anyone who's leaving the JTAC thing, I'd say get involved, learn as much as you can about UAS, radios, communications, and when you go for that, you don't focus on JTAC, JTAC, JTAC. I get loads and loads of CVs and resumes and loads of guys, and it's all about JTAC. No, what else can you do? There's 4,700 JTACs around the world, you know, in, in the Allies Coalition. Why you? You know, yeah. what else can you do? Yeah. And the interesting thing is, most people, especially British military, do have another background like yeah, yourself. Yeah, of course. You know, it's very rare. Well, I don't know anybody that's just been a JTAC. No. It's no. just not a thing for us. And, and that's, uh, that's, I, I've, Sort of back to, and it's not slating. I've got you know lots of guys I work with, the US Air Force guys, some very very mm-hmm. competent controllers. But that's what they've done all the way through. Where you get a cavalry JTAC who's good at vehicles. If you're not controlling aircraft, I'm controlling a, a jackal or, or whatever vehicle. An mm-hmm. artilleryman can help his FST out because he's artillery. RAF regiment, you know, and a lot of you guys do the SFSG. You know a bit of door mm-hmm. kicking and things like that, so you're helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, so. You do have that cross. So it's, it's, it's swings and roundabouts with that. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, you should obviously talk about your JTAC career, but just never sell yourself short. That's not all you are. Of course. You know, you're, a bigger per- mm-hmm. you're a bigger person than that. Um, cool, mate. Uh, that, I had a question come in and, and you answered it in there anyway, so I won't, I won't read it out. But um, last uh, kind of point from myself, bit of fun here. So Desert Island JTAC then, sub, 
I'm going to be kind enough and I'm going to give you a radio and I'm going to right. do some ansills. Good one, good ones as well, mate. Yeah, uh, we bought them off a really reputable company. Um, <laughs> um, and but you're allowed to take three other items. Yeah, what would they be? Okay, the best piece of JTAC equipment I have ever had is a Suntoke watch compass. Yeah, absolutely. My god is Lars. Left add, right subtract. People with yeah. little experience in high echelons who spout about it don't get Lars. So mm. wrist compass, center wrist compass, definitely 100%. Um, yeah. What else? What else? What else? Two, comp- two GPSs. So I was always, you know, Fortrex 101. Mm-hmm. And the KDU. KDU lead. It depends, okay. you know, you'd have one, two 152s, but they go, they get red up and they're not mm-hmm. that flexible. And, you know, so I'd use that for, for controlling overhead and a 152 on my back with a KDU leading to grenade patch down there. Uh, and obviously yeah, baseball caps a must. Uh, <laughs> you, you're uh... You're you're another you're another one of my uh, guys who likes to wish for more wishes. Yeah, uh, risk yeah. risk compass. Uh, you know, I had a rough idea, and I don't know. You could have a camera, haven't you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you get All right. right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna force I'm gonna force you to pick three. So you got your wrist compass. Wrist compass. Yeah. Um, simple GPS. Not a dagger. Okay. Nice simple. Nice simple. Simple GPS. GPS. And a camera. And a camera. Yeah. Roger that, mate. Mate, thank you so much for coming on. And, and I just want to like open up the floor because I'm sure you probably have some closing points, maybe some things that you want to say to the, the wider community, not just the JTAX, but the air crew, you know, um, and all the supporting people out in industry as well. Um, what would your closing thoughts be for everybody? Um, for, for anyone that's known me, Please reach out. I've done a lot of soul searching because I was quite awkward, but I always wanted me and, and, and my guys, if you like. I hate using that term, my guys. They're not my guys, but the guys I was responsible for training to be as best as possible and, and be sort of slightly competitive. Um, but I think sometimes that can be confused with toxic. So don't be competitive with in a negative way with other units and whatever. We're all sort of JTACs or former JTACs. Um, so respect everyone. You never, ever, ever stop learning. Some of the stuff I learned in my last couple of months at JFAXU when I was at you know, WO2 and whatever, with six operational tours, I thought, that's a really good point of view. So never, ever, ever stop learning. Uh, pilots are great. Aviators are great. Speak to them, be firm, but be respectful as well. They're still officers. So when they land, have a chat, follow up, and never, ever skip a debrief. Don't say, yeah, that's good enough. If someone's controlling and you're an instructor, you're not teaching them about how much you know. You're teaching them what they need to know. People don't care how much I know. I can tell a Hornet has to pull right off target, you know, to keep his AT flu on, whatever. doesn't matter. Teach what they need to know. No one gives us stuff. Don't show off about what you know. Uh, and just generally all stick together. And, you know, it's a really, really good environment globally. There's nations all over the place. You know, I'm in industry now and I see them and I think, oh, I remember you from such and such. 
Uh, it's great to be competitive, but um, there's some really surprising little nations over there that are very, very good at JTAP. Belgium, Scandinavians, stuff like that are some really, really good nations. Roger That's that. It, mate. Um, uh, yeah, so like part the ego, maintain the growth mindset. Yeah. And, uh, you know, always be uh, chasing excellence. And we're stronger together than apart, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much thank for coming you. on. Uh, I appreciate the time. I think that's our longest podcast, but that was that was brilliant. Brilliant. So I appreciate it. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to, and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community. And we really appreciate them. Thank you, everybody, for listening.